remember the first time you ever saw an Israeli salad? I remember when I did. I was confused. Where was the lettuce, the dressing, the croutons? It looked half finished. It sure wasn't salad as I knew it. But like salad, teaching in Israel is different than teaching in the United States or pretty much any other country. It feels different, requires different skills and a different approach. You may think, I've been doing this for this many years now using the same approach. I know what works, no use changing it now. But would you eat an Israeli salad with Caesar dressing? Wait, that actually sounds pretty good. Scratch that bad example. My point is, Israel is a culture shock, at least for those of us used to the American or non-Israeli way of doing things. An Israeli salad may be just as good as an American salad. In fact, having eaten many an Israeli salad myself, I now know that it is. But you have to get used to it. Every educational system is unique. Whether you're from the US or some other country that Tama brings teachers from. Australia, South Africa, Canada. But the Israeli system, well, you're going to quickly find out on your first day as a Tama teacher how unique the Israeli classroom environment really is. Take as just one example, recess. Oh, this uh, the recess is, is crazy. Oh my God, so different. <laughs> Israeli recess, at least in my school, was a free-for-all. In the States, they don't go anywhere by themselves. When we're going to recess, you know, we line up, we get, you know, a nice orderly line. Everyone's, you know, gets their check to see if you've got your code or whatever, uh, depending on the season. And then we walk out together. They play on the playground. We watch them the whole time. When it's time to go, we line them up again, we count them, and we bring them back into the line. I think the biggest, in America, we're so worried about liability. Like, I, uh, when I was in elementary school, the playground we had was amazing. It was this big wooden monster playground that robbed, like, it was super dangerous. But it was a lot of fun. Like, there were splinters all over the place. And then, I guess it was around maybe like eight or eight years after I left there, they tore this thing down and they like put it up with like plastic and rubber and you, can't, you couldn't get hurt if you tried. Whereas in Israel, we say like, it's recess time and then boom, like everyone's going in a million different directions. Like they're just gone. Like kids just would like run and just like run all over. They'd run into the classroom and stuff like that. You know, teachers were out there. And I remember one time like kids like climbing up on a bleacher. I'm like, hey, should we stop them? And they're like, yeah, yeah, but it's fine. And like they're playing soccer on concrete and they're they're just there's no fear. And they'd fall, they would like rip up their knee, they would look at it and just keep playing. I kind of adored how I could just like let the kids run wild. <laughs> and like I'd work at day camps where like if a kid got a scratch, we would have to call home and explain to we'd have to write incident report. It was insane. So it was it was really liberating in a sense that I didn't need to be so worried about every little detail about them. I just let they just had fun. And if they got a little hurt, like they brushed themselves off and they just kind of kept going. And then when recess time is over, there's like a little bell on the intercom and then they eventually just all come back. <laughs> the first like the first couple of days that it happened, I was amazed that they all made it back to the class, but they did. Like it or not, you're going to have to unlearn some of those lessons ingrained in you when you were first being trained as a teacher. A kid scrapes his knee playing soccer? Hakol Besetter. Give him a moment. He'll be fine. Your co-teacher and students mosey back into class five minutes after the bell is rung? 
Ain't by ya, relax. That's just how it goes around here. In the U.S., physical contact between teachers and students comes with a caution, and personal and professional lives are often compartmentalized. But in Israel, when a student starts braiding your hair and asking you the fine details of your personal life, well, that's par for the course. When the kids ask you to join them in a soccer game or jump on your back to show affection, that's just the Israeli way. I'm Deborah Feinberg, Deputy Director of Talma and former Talma teacher. And for today's episode of the Adventurous Teacher Podcast, we're looking at a day in the life of a Talma teacher and some of the culture shock and lessons learned along the way. You've already heard from several Talma alumni, among them Teach for America Delaware alum Alex Polano, Vermonter and kindergarten educator Sylvan Ross, and Talma Foyer fellow currently in Mitzvah Ramon, M. Shukart, who shared their stories from the playground. Now, we'll also hear from Talma alumni Mitchell Steinberg, a Baltimore-based ESOL teacher who spent his summer with Talma in Baltimore's sister city of Ashkelon, and Sari Goldstein, a TFA Charlotte alum turned uncommon schools teacher in New York City, who accumulated some stories of their own. I very much felt like They always wanted to hold my hand or climb on me in some way or hug me or touch my hair. In the States, I work with uh, really little kids and like they're pretty into your personal space also. You know, like a little kid has no problems with coming up and like giving you a hug or something like that. But like it was a whole different level with these Israeli kids. By the second day, I had kids like trying to get on my back at recess. We'd go outside and play soccer and they're jumping on my leg. They're trying to pull me down. And in a lot of ways, it was a lot more enjoyable because you get into teaching a lot of times because you want to interact with kids, like you want to have fun, like you want to do those things. And in the United States, it's not something you can do. You know, I remember when I worked at a day camp, like we were in the pool and you couldn't put a kid on your shoulders because that would be like a huge safety violation. And like you get fired over it. And in American schools, you can't give a kid, which probably is, I'm glad I don't have to, like give kids your cell phone numbers. You're not supposed to interact with them on social media, which, again, I think in America is probably for the best. But these kids, they wanted to be part of your life, not just part of like a classroom, which in a lot of ways, it built like a really cool sense of community. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was really cute, especially because they're so young. Um, And that level of like, you know, wanting a hug or wanting to play with my hair was also a way for them to communicate with me. You know, obviously my high schoolers aren't running up to try to give me a hug. It's fine. I remember how cool I thought I was in high school, too. Um, but the little munchkins are very sneaky about it um, because they they know that um, American culture is kind of different on touch. And so they're very sneaky. They, like, run up and, like, hug me real fast and then run away. Um, there's a couple of them that I have a secret handshake with. Israelis like to argue and they like to yell. They like to get loud. Uh, and it's, it's part of the communi- communicative culture, and I get that. But, like, I never had a kid get, like, so close like at their face so close to my face and like be at such a loud volume as some of these kids in my class it was interesting and it was fun for a little bit but you know at the end of a long day it could also get a little bit annoying in the united states i used to go into classrooms and even though i wasn't their normal teacher i was kind of looked at as an authority figure as a something that should be respected in some way and in my israeli experience was a little bit different like these kids did not look at me as some kind of authority figure at first. Like, at the first thing they ever said to me was, like, asking me for my Instagram. Like, that's what they wanted more than anything. Like, they wouldn't speak English to me at all in the beginning except to say, like, Instagram. Like, what's your Instagram? 
And then in the classroom, like everything we did, I got very, I got used to it somewhat quickly, but it was, it was always a why. It was like, everything was like, I'm going to challenge you first to find out why I'm doing this before I think about doing it. And if I don't want to do it, you're going to know that. It was just a much more like, I'm going to question why you're making me do what I'm doing. And then once you got on their side and once they realized, you know, you know, I was there for a good reason, they were much easier to work with. Now, if in listening to those stories, you're thinking that all you have to do is get your freewheeling Israeli students under control, you're missing the point. The open and energetic nature of Israeli kids should inform every aspect of your day at school. Not only how you handle recess, but how you design your lessons, organize the day, and guide your students through it. Embrace the chaos. Get on their level. Allow them in. Leverage the energy. And you'll be able to make connections deeper than you ever thought possible. The biggest thing is you just have to understand your student. I would create handshakes with them. So I had about four or five... Uh, at one point, probably close to seven or eight different handshakes that I would do with other students. Listening to music with the kids, listening to American music, them showing me like Israeli songs that are really popular. So kind of ways that, you know, you get to know students here, but you had to do it much quicker. The biggest way that I won over my students is by learning Hebrew or trying to learn Hebrew alongside them. So, uh, you know, they taught me words every day. They tried really hard to, you know, I learned how to count to 10. Don't ask me, I forgot. Um, And just showing them that I was willing to try and make mistakes just like we expected them to. And that was a really exciting thing because it made it clear that I wasn't there just to teach them English. I was also there to learn. I remember that first recess, like we sat down and I said, hey, teach me a few words in Hebrew. And he tried to do it, and my accent was awful, and they laughed at me, and it was fun. So it kind of opened it up right away that, like, we're all here to learn from each other. Some days it's going to be easy, some days it's going to be hard, but either way, it's fine. No matter what language a child speaks, um, you have to figure out what that child is interested in before you can build a relationship. There was a kid uh, in my class who, every day, he came to school with a different uh, soccer player's jersey on. So, like, you know, obviously the kid's into soccer, so I started talking to him, and even though he had really low uh, English ability, I could, you know, teach him vocabulary about soccer. The World Cup was going on, so we talked about, you know, the names of the countries in English, you know, just various uh, English topics related to soccer, and that really helped me, you know, to form a relationship with that kid. He knew when he came in, uh, like, in the next day wearing his, you know, whatever, the Ronaldo jersey, that he could come to me and that we would have something to chat about, you know. To be honest, I knew nothing about soccer, and I still don't know much, but I would go home and Google the team that they were talking about and then come in the next day and be like, oh, I heard that Barcelona won or whoever had won in the game before. And it opens up conversation because then they can talk about their favorite players or they can talk about the way that, you know, a goal was scored and they had something to talk about and they also knew that you were listening to them and that you were trying. Figuring out how to interact with your Israeli students is the crucial first step towards fostering a workable classroom environment. 
Once you really get to know the kids, you'll be better equipped to identify where they are in their language learning, understand what works and what doesn't, and it'll help you do your job better. TFA Texas alum and life skills teacher Jeff Bauer put an incredible thoughtfulness and effort when planning for his Tama classroom in Jerusalem. So I, I kind of followed some practices I do back in the States. You may see myself working with a group of students in, um, over like in the front of the room, going and working on their notebooks, going and, going and seeing if they are understanding the vocabulary, going and using it the right way. You may see in the back of the co-teacher going and working with them um, almost on an application of those words, instead of having to make a card, such as drawing a scene. Um, a word scramble, something like that. Creating my lesson plans, I knew that I would have to get through a certain objective each day. For example, um, Toma provides a curriculum, and you know we were encouraged to use the curriculum, but not held straight to the curriculum. Um, the my co-teacher, she knew the kids because she had worked in that school, so she, you know, she kind of knew what we were able to do and had some ideas with the kids. Uh, what we really did is. You know, in the Israeli way of planning things, it takes a lot less time to plan than what I do here in the U.S. So we would talk about, you know, we would decide on the subject we were going to teach that day and then just, like, spitfire a few activities and then choose one, and then we would spend some time really focusing on that activity. You know, giving vocab, giving grammar, and then gradually working it towards, like, me taking my hands off the wheel and giving that to the kids and then letting the kids take over by the end of the day. Kids love making Thanksgiving menus. Um, I talked through kind of the standard menu with um, one of my classes, and I told them to make their own menu, and they loved it, and it was so much fun, and they came up with some crazy, crazy combinations. <laughs> for Halloween, we had a Halloween party for one of my classes, and they came in costume, and they painted their face, and they had done all of these worksheets with Halloween songs. My first year, the student would create these fun, interactive books books where they would get to create something out of paper or draw a picture and write the words and then they could take the book home with them so that after we left and after the school day they could practice. We made family trees and we sung a lot of family songs. Uh, we did a lot of movement activities too because uh, Israeli children need to move around a lot. So we did um, like when we did ABC work we did a whole bunch of games with ABC so we did like passing games. Um, with letter sounds and things like that. And then we also did a lot of kinetic stuff, so like spelling CBC, which are like, you know, more basic words, with um, paint in bags, in plastic bags, rather than just spelling it on paper, because that was more engaging. Day number one was very, very different than any day I ever walked in. Me and my co-teacher kind of made a decision to say, we'll have a few things planned. And then we're just going to kind of like let the day unfold and see what our students are like, see what their interests are, see their, you know, proficiency levels. So we walked in and we introduced ourselves and the kids were fine. We tried to do like a small little introduce yourself in English. And immediately they're like, no. And then like it didn't help that like eight of them thought they were going to day camp that day. And when they got there and they found out it was school, they were not happy about that. And then once we realized, okay, like it needs to be really, really structured. Like if we're going to get these kids to do work, it has to be incredibly structured.
With only the brief time you'll have with your class, the prospect of culture shock and having to adjust your entire mindset when entering the classroom might at first seem jarring. It's a lot to take in and a lot to get used to, but every Talma teacher gets there eventually, whether you make that connection right away or need to take some time to adjust. By the end of it all, you'll see that Israeli classrooms, as different as they are from American or Australian or Canadian ones, work just as well. Uh, if you had a peek into my Toma classroom, you would see a lot of yelling, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of hugs. You would see um, a lot of movement. And the students would come in um, and we'd get started right away with curriculum. For me, I always felt it was beneficial to kind of front load the learning of like the words of the day um, at the beginning of class. We would always start uh, with a good morning cheer more or less. It was a good cheer because we would spell out the words a good morning and uh, as in English, we would, they, they would get to chant it, they, they would get to go and bang on the desks a bit. Um, to go and get the energy out, and the goal was to say as loud as possible. In the morning was when they did like their most of the work. That was like the most work we knew we could get out of them. So that was like we, we started like little worksheet activities, things that they could sit and do on their own. Because when we tried to do conversations very early on, it very quickly fell off the rails. So it was kind of like being very responsive to what these kids were going to do. We had a morning routine which consisted of like songs and some dancing and up and down and then they would write in their notebooks um, about 10 words um, for them to learn. And from those 10 words, the rest of the day was uh, activities based around that. So it could be some sort of crafts, it could be acting a scene if it's like in a restaurant. When they were most attentive, we would start with dictation more or less, pretty much just going and going over all the vocab words, uh, going and writing them down in, uh, in our notebooks as well, as well as the definition. During the course of that, they would, uh, while I would teach them English, they would go and teach me Hebrew, and it was a way for them to both learn the words and also for me to pick up on some Hebrew as well. And they also enjoyed having the chance to go and teach me how to say the words in Hebrew. And then we would take a break for lunch. Students would always um, help to prepare their own lunches. They would learn how to do like the sandwiches and then we would go outside and we would have recess and then they were like okay let's go out let's play some soccer let's burn some energy off so we'd go out and play and after recess we would come back in and we would do another activity related to the lesson of the day more artistic projects get them drawing get them talking we would typically come in and play so some sort of a review game which would allow us to assess their learning in an informative way we would do something fun like a game day or someone would come and do an activity with us or art um, or science uh the ending uh this is actually pretty cool was that each day we had like a kind of special activity so one day it might be a cooking activity where we had been taught we had been learning about foods and then we would make some food or one day might be like an art project or uh, uh outside water day was one of them so the end of the day was usually a really fun time for us. Whether it's for high school starting your homework, for the Munchkins, sometimes we'll sing a song, um, and that'll be kind of the wind down. They would then all go and stand in a line at the door, um, and then pretty much right at the time of Alexa release, they would always go and walk out and give me like, you know, like a high five, or one of our handshakes, um, a fist bump, something like that. At one o'clock, 
they all left and we had another 30 minutes to plan for the next day, clean up our rooms, kind of talk to our co-teacher and see how we felt the day went, reflected, and then we got back on the bus. For having experienced that culture shock and for having learned to adjust, you'll leave Israel a better teacher than when you arrived. You'll have seen things, but you'll have grown as a teacher and grown as a person. You'll have made real meaningful connections with students you would have otherwise never had the chance to meet. It's why every Talma teacher's best story comes from their final days of school. It was about a month into the into the school year, and I was beating my head against the wall, beating my head against the wall, and trying to get them engaged and get them excited to be in English. And so I just kind of was like, all right, we're going to go over question words today. So I wrote down, you know, questions in the middle, and then I drew a line. And I said, what? Okay, so what is what in Hebrew? And they said, ma. And so I tried to write it in Hebrew, but I didn't know how to write it correctly. And they all started giggling. And then one of them came up and wrote ma on the board. And then we went to the next question word, and I asked, okay, well, what's when in Hebrew? And the, that word's matai. Tried to write it again, and another one comes up to, like, fix it for me. And the next thing I know, the whole class is engaged, and we're having fun. I remember one kid who came the first day and punched um, a file cabinet when he found out it was school. He was so mad. By, like, that seventh day, we did this little thing on the computer about cars, and he was, like, really, really excited to do it. So we, like, did this whole presentation, somewhat in English, about cars. So it was like really, really cool to see a kid who in the beginning wanted nothing to do with Talma, nothing to do with me, really working on an English project, which was really nice. One day towards the end of the program, it might have actually been the last day of the program, uh, our school like threw a dance party for the kids. And there was a, like a DJ that came. And first of all, I couldn't believe that I was in this situation with a bunch of third and fourth graders because like the DJ it I felt like I was in like a nightclub in New York City with like the kind of music that was playing and the dancing that was going on it was it was a party it was awesome but I just like couldn't believe that it was happening in like the gym of a school uh but this girl who was like you know constantly the thorn in my side like throughout the uh the entirety of like of the um school sessions came up with her you know her friends to me and like a couple of the other teachers and just started you know cutting loose dancing smiling laughing like having a great time we had a water day which was chaotic and um it was so fun to see those kids have so much fun and they got so immersed in the water they were we had water balloons so we were playing like a a letter game, I don't even remember what it was, that we were passing the water balloons, and it would eventually fall on someone and they would, the water would explode on them. But that being, you know, Israeli classroom and just, it, their kids, uh, it just turned into like pouring water all over each other the whole time. I'd been sitting in a meeting with uh, a principal and the English teacher from last year, and we'd been kind of talking through the students, and she came across, you know, coming down the list, she said, oh, this student, Roe, he, he knows English, but he refuses to speak English. He only speaks Hebrew. And so I was like, all right, new mission, this kid is going to speak to me in English. And so we were at, we were walking back from the bakery, and I happened to see Roe on the street, and I said, hi, Roe, how are you? He said, I'm good. And that was such a moment of like, yes, I did it, and that's why I'm here. 
A day in the life of a Talmud teacher in Israel isn't always the easiest, but it's filled with countless small wins and rewards, not to mention dance parties, celebrations, water fights, and those amazing moments when you reach a kid who no one else could. No matter how hard culture shock hits, it's nothing that, at the end of the day, the hugs and love of kids who know no boundaries can't cure. And a day, or summer, or year in the life of a Talmud teacher is just the kind of day you don't want to miss out on. I'm Deborah Feinberg. You've just listened to The Adventurous Teacher. And for more information on how to spend your summer with Talma in Israel, visit TalmaIsrael.com. Let's get cracking. Better start packing. Getting on a big jet plane. Going on a mission, a teaching expedition, and you're never going to be the same. The weather's swell, well, hot as hell. We thought that you should know. And just assume you'll share a room. It ain't the Four Seasons. Hello? Oh, yes, you're teaching in Israel. You can't conceive, you won't believe the adventure that's in store. That's right, you're teaching in Israel. Better hang on tight with all your might, unlike anything you've done before. The kids are warm, hugs are the norm, they all love to embrace. But you'll run for cover when the class is over, say goodbye to your personal space. At night unwind, rest your mind, or wait for weekend leave. Go and scream and blow off steam in a club in Tel Aviv. You wake at dawn, your life force gone, so sleepy it's insane. But those kids will swarm your zombie form till you're alive again. Because you're teaching in Israel. You can't conceive, you won't believe this adventurous endeavor. Oh yes, you're teaching in Israel. You'll be an inspiration, it's about education and changing lives.